Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On NBA Season Preview. I'm Doug Branson, a producer here at Locked On and a guest host on Locked On Hornets. I'll be your guide as we skip across the country division by division, previewing all 30 NBA teams with the help of our local experts. Plus, we've got Josh Lloyd standing by. He's the host of Locked On Fantasy Basketball, and he's going to give you waiver wire additions to supercharge your fantasy team. Chad Ford is here, too. He's with the Chad Ford NBA Big Board Podcast, and he's profiling the rookies to watch in each division. And finally, rejecting the screen will predict the future. In this episode, we look in-depth at the Northwest Division, and we start with the Denver Nuggets, a team that just wouldn't die in the bubble. They overcame two 3-1 deficits, but they could not overcome LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Will things be any easier for Jokic, Jamal, and company? Locked On Nuggets has the preview. Hi, I'm Matt Moore from Locked On Nuggets with your Nuggets season preview for the Locked On Network. The biggest storyline hanging into this season for the Denver Nuggets can they get back up the mountain? In the Orlando bubble, the Nuggets surprised everyone by knocking off not only the Jazz down 3-1, but then doing the exact same to the Clippers. It was one thing when it was Utah and Donovan Mitchell and a good team, but no one expected the Nuggets to be able to topple the Clippers. Well, except me. I called that. But everyone else really didn't expect it as the Nuggets advanced to the Western Conference Finals for the first time since 2009. The question is, after losing Jeremy Grant in free agency, can the Nuggets do it again? Or was that a one-time peak for the young Nuggets? The best case scenario for the Denver Nuggets this season is that Michael Porter Jr. evolves into a star. With Jamal Murray having made the leap in the playoffs and Nikola Jokic an All-NBA selection, Porter Jr. has a chance to cement himself as the third wheel of a big three in Denver. If Porter can make the jump, that mitigates some of the damage left from Jeremy Grant's decision to sign with the Detroit Pistons. While Porter is obviously an incredible talent, there are both injury concerns and issues with him defensively. He's struggled to adapt to a play-calling set. He's struggled to adapt to knowing where he's supposed to be on the court and the same kind of traditional struggles you'd expect from a young big man, but he is an exceptional rebounder and one of the most gifted young scorers I've ever seen in the league. So if Michael Bora Jr. can make the leap, that's a best case scenario and the Nuggets could wind up at the top three seed. The worst case scenario is that the defense absolutely falls apart. Denver's been surprisingly good the last two seasons on defense, even after last year's dip, which is all over the place they've still managed to be a top 15-ish team for most of the season. If Denver were to fall off from that because they have to start Michael Porter Jr., that can lead to some problems. Michael Malone is never going to be comfortable as head coach with a team that's putting up 130 and giving up 125 every night. In the Western Conference, lots of teams can score. Grant gave them a weapon that they could use versus Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, and without him, they have a serious deficit on the wing in terms of defensive capability. Porter can make up for rebounding and some of the link that Grant provided, especially in terms of scoring offensively, but 
if he if his drop off means more to the Denver, they could find themselves in a lower tier, battling once again in the four, five, six spot rather than at the top of the Western Conference as they've been for the last two seasons. I think offensively this season, you're going to see probably more ingenuity. Michael Malone singled that out in preseason conversations that they're looking to be more creative. They brought on Facu Campasso, Argentinian legend, to join the team. His passing is set to potentially bring the Nuggets' already insane passing attack to an entirely different level. Uh, Meanwhile, I think defensively, they're going to have to be just what they were last season, blitzing a lot at the point of attack and trying their best to mitigate what they can at the rim. The absence of Grant really hurts them at that side, but don't forget that they also lost Mason Plumlee, and Isaiah Isaiah Hartenstein probably isn't going to be able to make up all of that as a free agent. The player whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, obviously, is Michael Porter Jr., Uh, the young man is absolutely capable of starring. His per 36 stats are through the roof, unheard of stuff for players of his age and inexperience. However, he does he will have to earn his minutes on the floor. He will not be gifted to him, and he does tend to get lost both offensively and defensively in terms of where he's supposed to be. He had absolutely no rhythm once Jamal Murray re-entered the rotation in the bubble. He played great next to Jokic, but they're going to have to work on figuring out how to balance those three together and getting Murray and Michael Porter together a lot more comfortable. If Porter makes the leap this season, becomes a kind of star that, well, his draft caliber honestly suggests that he can be, the Nuggets are going to be an absolutely different kind of beast. But if he's only good, the Nuggets are going to be much more mediocre than they were last season or the year before. My best guess, I expect the Nuggets to be a top five seed in the Western Conference, probably in the four or five matchup. Their floor is high enough with Jokic and Murray that they're still going to be able to get stuff done. This roster still has weapons from Will Barton to Gary Harris, who can have a bounce back season. Paul Millsap is still a reliable veteran defensively. Jamichael Green will bring some help to replace a little bit of what Jeremy Grant cost them. They re-signed Monte Morris on an extension. There's a lot to like about this Nuggets team. They may slide, but they won't slide far. Other predictions, I think Jamal Murray makes an all-star team this season. He's simply too good not to make it. And I do think actually, in fact, that P.J. Dozier is going to wind up having a bigger season than most expect. While everyone's focused on Campasso at 5'11", Dozier has a kind of athleticism and defensive acumen that I think Michael Malone will look for midway through the season. That's been your Locked On preview for the Denver Nuggets. Make sure to check out Locked On Nuggets with me, Matt Moore. You won't find Dame Time on any watch, digital, pocket, or stop. You'll simply find Portland snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat. But has the clock struck midnight on this version of the Blazers? Locked on Blazers tells us more. What up, world? It's your Passwords point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. The Blazers retooled the rotation this summer, and that's the biggest storyline heading into the season. With the additions of Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr., likely starters on day one, Does this team take a step forward from its bottom three defense in the league and become a league average or slightly better defense? Do the new additions provide the jolt that the Blazers are hoping? They also added depth in the front line with Ennis Cantor and are hoping to have better health this season with Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins when he eventually comes back. A full roster and an upgraded defense is the Blazers' ticket to home court advantage in the playoffs and That's the biggest storyline heading the season. Can they take a jump from a fringe playoff team to an elite threat to be one of the top four seeds in the West? 
what has to happen for this to play out? Well, the bets this team made on giving Derek Jones a whole bunch of money and trading two first-round picks for Robert Covington have to pay out. The Blazers can't just be a slightly better defense. If they are a bottom 10 as opposed to bottom 3, they're not headed the place they want to be. They made bets that young guy, a young guy like Derek Jones Jr. can pick up the defense and that with improved health and an, and a savvy vet like Robert Covington that this team's biggest weakness could maybe not become a strength but could become something they could lean on. Instead of a glaring weakness just something they're not as good at. This is going to be an elite offensive team. The question is, can they be not a putrid defensive team when they don't have the ball? But there's certainly not a direct path there. Derek Jones Jr. is more of a theoretical defender, good defender, than he's been a productively good defender in the NBA to this point. And while Robert Covington is an excellent team defender, he's not an elite wing stopper. The Blazers have added better defensive players, but they haven't added these you know, true, true elite defensive wings. They've just upgraded a position of weakness. The worst case scenario for this team is that this bet doesn't go all the way. They get a little bit better. They're not the 27th defense, but they're the 24th defense. And if they, if that's all they can deliver, the Blazers have sacrificed some financial flexibility and some draft picks to improve only marginally around the edges. But regardless, this team's going to look a little bit different. I don't expect an overhaul of the defense, although they've talked about playing a little bit more aggressive. They're still going to drop big bigs in pick and rolls. They're still going to trap very rarely. They do what they do. I, I just don't see, in year nine, the leopard that is the Terry Stotts-Damian Lillard system dramatically changing its spots. But one way this team is going to change, at least on the offensive end, is that they're going to have real vets coming off the bench. Carmelo Anthony is going to... Uh, move into a reserve role and probably be a focal point of second units. They added Ennis Cantor along the front line, a questionable defensive player, but a really good offensive rebounder and someone who can score as a, as a big in the post. They'll join a second unit along with Gary Trent Jr., a breakout player from the Orlando bubble, and Rodney Hood, who returns from an Achilles injury. That foursome is a really good offensive team against backups. I think the Blazers have a chance to be the best offense in the NBA if it all clicks right, and maybe if Luka Doncic slips on a banana peel or something. The biggest question sort of out there for this Blazers team is how will they incorporate Zach Collins into the lineup when he returns, probably near the end of January? He was supposed to be their starting power forward, and and a young player who's a big part of the future. But now with the uh, decision to sign or trade for Robert Covington, the addition to bring back Carmelo Anthony and two centers ahead of him on the depth chart and Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Cantor, where Zach Collins fits is going to be a big question. And as he enters the final year of his contract with the Blazers, whether he's part of their long-term plans will be one of the big sort of decisions they have to factor into the season. My best guess for how this season goes is that the Blazers will be an elite offensive team and a mediocre defensive team, and they'll be right there in the mix for that 4-5-6-7 seed in the crowded Western Conference. The Blazers got better on paper. The next step is getting better on the court. Coming up, we're going to hear from a team that is putting the band back together, a team in need of a healthy cat, and a team that may end the season with more draft picks than wins. Jazz, Timberwolves, and Thunder, up next. This episode is brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about this in the New York Times or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. 
Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring, launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. And when they're gone, they are gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're making 2021 plans or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. We've been talking a lot about basketball on this show, but I want to turn our attention now to football. Are you ready to watch some football? Are you ready to win some cash on some football? We've got college football heading into that ever-important bowl season. NFL regular season, they're finishing up, and the playoff picture is becoming clearer than ever. There's only one place that has you covered for all of your bets and one place that we trust here on Locked On, and that's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use our promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. you got to get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline.ag. They're the ones we trust, and you should too. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hi guys, Josh Lloyd here. Just looking at some fantasy basketball waiver wire ads over in the Northwest Division of the Western Conference in the NBA. If we go to Denver, I've heard some talk that uh, Facundo Campazzo might actually be a chance to start next to Jamal Murray, uh, taking a place of perhaps Gary Harris. So that's a, a name to watch. His ability to get assists is super valuable in fantasy. So just keep an eye on Campazzo, even as a streaming guy, if he remains on the bench in that second unit with Monty Morris, he is going to be someone to pay some attention to as an option there. Michael Porter needs to be drafted in every league, and I'm sure he will be. Paul Millsap might be available on the waiver wire. He's not going to have huge upside, but he's going to have some value regardless. In Utah, Joe Ingles probably going to be resigned to that bench role again behind Royce O'Neal and Boyan Bogdanovich, assuming Bogdanovich is ready to go. Ingles, again, providing threes, providing assists off the waiver wire is super valuable. He's never going to get back to that top 60 sort of fantasy value he was at two to three years ago. But as a waiver wire option, Ingles is going to be able to provide that for you. And the same goes with Jordan Clarkson, who doesn't really have that high upside, but can be a dynamic scorer. And that can be really valuable coming off your waiver wire. In Minnesota, the backcourt rotation's up in the air. We know D'Angelo Russell will start, but will Malik Beasley, will it be Ricky Rubio, will Anthony Edwards get the nod at the two? How are they going to work out that rotation? I think Beasley is a guy that probably shouldn't be drafted in most cases, but off the wire, you can go and add him, especially if he gets hot with his shooting. And the same as Rubio. If someone drafts him or drops him or they let him slide all the way out of the draft, Rubio's ability to generate assists and should be getting 25 to 26 minutes regardless of if he starts or comes off the bench. Obviously, upside's going to be higher if he starts. There is a lot of value in Rubio, even in a bench role. And then, okay, see, that rotation's all over the place. Darius Basley should not be on any waiver wires anywhere. 
I think Basley's a starter. He's a 30-minute-a-night player. He had this massive run in the bubble. He can shoot a bit. He can defend. He can score. Really, really think he shouldn't be on any waiver-wise. And the same goes for Lugens Dort, who is not, to me, anywhere near the level of Basley as a fantasy player, but he's going to get a ton of minutes. They're going to be pumped into him. He's going to have the opportunity to get some defensive stats. He's going to have the opportunity to shoot open threes because nobody respects it, and we saw that in the playoffs, uh, that nobody respects the shots, but he was happy to take them. And if they start going in, then for fantasy, there's going to be some real value there for Dort. So Dort and Basley are guys that are going to be available in most waiver-wise, and they shouldn't be, especially Basley. Make sure he is uh, is picked up onto your squad when he's not just sitting there floundering on the waiver-wise. So that does it for the Northwest Division in the NBA's Western Conference, looking at the fantasy basketball ads for those guys. Thank you very much, Josh. Make sure to check out Josh on Locked On Fantasy Basketball as you get set to start the NBA regular season with your fantasy team. He's always giving great tips on who to pick up on the waiver wire week to week. Let's move now to the Utah Jazz. The Jazz Nuggets playoff series last year was one of the most exciting in recent memory, headlined by a 50-point duel between Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray. But it was Murray who took the last shot, and the Nuggets left standing when the smoke cleared. The Jazz have reloaded, but will they be quicker on the draw this season? Here's Locked On Jazz with answers. Hello and welcome to the Utah Jazz Season Preview here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm David Locke, host of Locked On Jazz. The biggest story for the Utah Jazz this season is the band is back together. They brought back the entire team and then brought back favorite son Derek Favors, who'd been gone for a year. A year ago, the Utah Jazz made a strong pivot from being the elite defensive team in all of the NBA to a much more offensive-minded team, replacing Ricky Rubio with Mike Conley, replacing Derek Favors with Boyan Bogdanovich, replacing Dante Exum with Jordan Clarkson, all moves that were offensive-minded. And when the Jazz did that, they became the number one offensive team in the NBA from December 24th to March 11th, but the defense slipped. So in the offseason, the Jazz went and grabbed the player that made them one of the elite defensive teams, Derek Favors, and put the band back together. So you have a team that wasn't good enough offensively two years ago to compete with the Rockets and the likes of the Warriors, who then last year wasn't good enough defensively to stop Jamal Murray, who now hopes to have the two things combined, an offensive and defensive team, to be able to get that done. Now, the other storyline, as of this recording, Rudy Gobert, who's eligible both for a Supermax extension and a regular extension, is not signed. That deal has not come together. Donovan Mitchell signed his no-brainer extension. The Jazz gave him everything he wanted. And so the next step for the Jazz in solidifying this group is to re-sign the best defensive player in the world in Rudy Gobert, and that has not been done. For the Jazz, the best-case scenario of this season is that the defense that was so porous, particularly when Rudy Gobert was off the floor last year, becomes a lead again with Derek Favors. Last year, when Rudy Gobert was off the floor, the Jazz defense ranked in the 16th percentile of all defensive units. They were allowing 115.8 points per 100 possessions with Tony Bradley on the floor last year instead of Rudy Gobert. Those 12 minutes a night were a problem for the Jazz. They were minus two in those minutes. Contrast that 116 to the 107 defensive rating they had when Rudy Gobert was on the floor. They were a plus six in those minutes. The starting lineup for the Jazz last year was plus 15, and the secondary lineup was plus 11. 
So those are the things that give the Jazz hope that they have a super special season coming, that they've mixed and matched those two things together, both the defense of years past and the offense there. The other thing is that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are on a natural trajectory of improvement. We saw that from the bubble when Donovan exploded in those matchups with Jamal Murray. Rudy has been subtly improving each and every year, and the Jazz need to be able to show that prowess of those two stars. You only go as far as your stars are. The worst case scenario for the Jazz is that they just can't be as good defensively as they were two years ago. That Mike Conley at 33 years old is not the defensive player that Ricky Rubio was, that Joe Ingles at 33 years old ages a little bit, and that the Jazz don't have the defensive prowess to be able, even with the backstops of Favors and Gobert, to be able to be that good defensively. My biggest concern for the Jazz is the aging of Joe Ingles. He has shown no signs of it. He has had some slumps where he's gotten quiet, but he's so vital to who the Jazz are offensively at six foot eight, being able to run that pick and roll, be able to play as a secondary ball handler with either Donovan or Mike Conley. I suspect that Donovan and Mike Conley are on the floor for all 48 minutes this year. Uh, one of the other for 48 minutes. Favors or Gobert will be on the floor for 48 minutes. And then Ingles will be that secondary ball handler who adds a lot of different aspects to this team. And if he ages and slows, he I think it could be really difficult uh, for the Jazz because he's that vital to them. I don't suspect them to be a different team in, at all offensively and defensively. In the bubble, they played a bit faster. They took a tremendous amount of threes in the bubble. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich last year took a career-high seven threes and talking to him last week, uh, he said... Uh, Quinn Snyder wants him to take even more threes, but the Jazz are the number one team in the league in drives, one of the top teams in handoffs, one of the top teams in pick and roll. Lots of action, lots of activity. You're going to continue to see that. Defensively, the difference is going to be whether or not they can find a way to deal with the -the off-the-bounce three of the great guards of the Western Conference, Steph Curry, Jamal Murray, Dame Lillard, who have torched the Jazz in the past. The Jazz allow massively huge numbers to some of those guards at times. We saw it in the bubble when Jamal Murray in the playoffs knocked the Jazz out of the first round of the playoffs with those monster nights. Rudy Gobert ends up playing on it, you know, back because frankly, that's the right play and that's what he should be doing. Uh, But the elite guards have been able to pull up and make those shots. In regards to what player's career trajectory is going to be most impacted, either good or bad, the obvious is just the natural step of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. They both got ranked in the 20s by ESPN this year. Are they going to be able to... uh, take that next stride and be in the top 10 in the league. Can Gobert show his defensive prowess even out on the floor, which he was the number one isolation defender last year. So he probably uh, will be able to. The bad would be if just some of the older players age a little bit in favors is not engaged playing just those 12 to 18 minutes a night. My best guess on the season ends is if I'm being, uh, cautiously optimistic is that they end up somewhere in the second round of the playoffs and drop maybe the LA Clippers in the second round and then we get the Clipper-Laker matchup. But the Jazz matchup very well against the Clippers. The Serge Ibaka addition was good for them, for the Jazz, because it pulls Gobert out a little bit. Um, And the Jazz have a bigger lineup that they can deal with now against the Lakers if they need to. So the optimistic end would be that the Jazz finish the year uh, in the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers more cautiously optimistic. They finished in the second round, uh, losing to probably the L.A. Clippers as the three seed 
in the West. If it's the four seed, they lose, or five, they lose to the Lakers in that matchup. Coming up, NBA draft guru Chad Ford tells you which rookies to watch out for in the Northwest Division, and we preview the number one overall pick and the team with the most overall picks. Wolves and Thunder still ahead. But first, I want to tell you about Build Bar. Build Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and they've got an improved Build Bar that's even deliciouser, including six new flavors caramel brownie, cookies, and cream. Cherry Barcia, Lemon Almond Cheesecake, Carrot Cake, Apple Almond Crisp. Oh my gosh, I'm hungry. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. And here's the best part. Built Bars are healthy. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy or lady. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. These bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for the keto diet as well. My wife loves these. They're my post-run snack. Check them out. BillBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On, all one word. You're going to get 20% off your next order. Use promo code Locked On for 20% off at BillBar.com and try that cookies and cream bar. Mm, it's good. I'm Chad Ford, host of Chad Ford's NBA Big Board Podcast, and these are the rookies to watch in the Northwest division and it starts with the number one pick in the draft Anthony Edwards the dynamic scoring athletic two guard out of Georgia who was drafted by the Minnesota Timberwolves with the number one pick in the draft and the interesting thing about Edwards is his upside is tremendous he is an incredible athlete has a great NBA body has scoring instincts but his basketball IQ was the big question mark about him. How is his feel for the game, his reads on both ends of the court, his commitment to defense, his commitment to the game? The Wolves ignored all that, took him number one based off of those physical profiles. It'll be really interesting to see what Minnesota does with him now, given that they have a pretty crowded backcourt already. And it's a question mark about where he's going to get minutes on this basketball team next year. They also drafted another guy who I think has tremendous upside in Jaden McDaniels out of Washington, a guy who on just talent alone was a top five pick in this draft, but really struggled his freshman year at Washington. Another guy that given his size and his scoring ability could be a great, great get down the road for the Wolves, but you're going to have to be patient with him. And again, not exactly clear where the minutes are going to come for either Edwards or McDaniels in Minnesota. Then you go to the Denver Nuggets and they drafted this guy actually with their second first round pick. Zeke Naji out of Arizona went number one. But the guy that I'm really intrigued to watch is RJ Hampton, who spent his freshman year, not in college, but over in New Zealand, playing in the Australian League. One of the best athletes in this draft, hands down. Explosive athlete, can play uh, the one and the two a little bit. Good ball handler. Can he shoot the basketball? That is the question mark. It's been a question that's plagued him ever since uh, he was in high school. It plagued him last year when he was playing in New Zealand. If he figures out how to shoot the basketball, this guy is just an off-the-charts athlete, an interesting prospect on the offensive end, and could be a steal, yet another steal for the Denver Nuggets. And finally, Uduko Azabuke, the big center out of Kansas that surprised a lot of people when the Utah Jazz drafted him. 
I I think that he was a sleeper. The Jazz said that he ranked as a top 10 prospect on their board and analytically went even higher than that. He has a freakish long wingspan. He is a freaky athlete for a seven-footer who moves so well. He destroys everything around the basket. He's a good rebounder. He's a good shot blocker. And the Jazz really struggled whenever Rudy Gobert was off the floor for them. They really needed someone who could come in and play a few minutes for them. They they got Derek Favors in free agency, but Azubuke, I think, is a long-term project for them and a guy who I think could end up earning some minutes, maybe maybe just like 10 minutes a night, and could actually have a bigger impact than you think because he's already a man. You've been listening to Chad Ford. If you are interested in the 2020 draft or the 2021 NBA draft, Go to my big board, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board, on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Minnesota Timberwolves found lottery luck in the last draft and selected Anthony Edwards with the first overall pick. Have they found a third star to pair with Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell? Here's Locked On Wolves with a preview. Hi, everyone. This is Ben Beacon from Locked On Wolves. It's time to preview the 2020-2021 Minnesota Timberwolves season Of course, the Wolves haven't played in the better part of nine months, or I guess pretty much exactly nine months. Pre-pandemic, the last game, they lost the Houston Rockets back in early March. I think it was March 12th. And uh, a lot has changed in the past nine plus months in Timberwolves land. Of course, heading into the offseason, the Timberwolves did have D'Angelo Russell in the fold, but he and Carl Anthony Towns only played one game together. And Towns was out with a fractured wrist back when the season shut down. That means that the biggest storyline heading into this season is D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns playing together. They played one game together. It was a road loss to Toronto that they were in the game for, for most of it. They were leading for most of the first half in that game. And these two best friends, two 24-year-olds who have both been all-stars in Towns' case, he's been an all-star two times, they've only gotten to play one game together, and they're both on max contracts. They are the future of this franchise. And the storyline is, what what will their pairing look like? Will they be able to play defense, number one? Number two, just how high is the limit of this offense? Um, it, it really appears like the offense could have a, a sky is the limit type feel to it um, throughout the season because of a number of other pieces as well. But really the Russell Towns pairing is the number one thing to look for. The best case scenario for this team, it, I mean, what needs to happen to get there? It's all about defense. It's the name of the game. This offense is going to be a top 10 offense easily in the league. I truly believe that. D'Angelo Russell, currently Towns are both efficient offensive players who are have multi multiple facets to their offensive games. Towns is arguably the best shooting big man of all time. Russell's a volume three-point shooter who can also um, play make for the offense with Ricky Rubio in the fold to also play make and uh, shooters like Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and guys who run the floor like Josh Kogi, number one overall pick Anthony Edwards, who when you know we're a couple of minutes into this preview and haven't even mentioned the number one overall pick, that means that there's a lot to be excited about with this team. I, I do think this team, there is a best case scenario that has this team solidly in the playoffs. Now, on the flip side of that coin, the worst case scenario, if this team can't defend, they were a bottom five defensive team last year. They pretty consistently have been a bottom five team. Their best two players are both below average defenders in Towns and Russell. You would argue that their third best player, Malik Beasley, is um, if if you buy that he's their third best player, and I think the Wolves do, at least based on what they're paying him, um, then your three best players are all below average defenders. Ricky Rubio um, is Ricky Rubio. Josh Kogi are the two main members of the rotation that are that are above average defenders. Jarek Culver is in that conversation, but his minutes are going to shrink this year. Um, Ed Davis and Rondé Hollis Jefferson are both going to play limited roles, you know, max 18 minutes or so a game. 
So you have a few of these guys who are solid to above average defenders, but your best players, the guys who are going to play the heaviest minutes are all negative defenders. And so it's not hard to imagine a worst case scenario, you know, setting injuries aside that this team scuffles defensively and is a bottom five defensive team. And maybe, you know, the 10th or 11th best offensive team and struggles to, a you know, a, a the equivalent, whatever the equivalent is in a 72 game season, like a 30 win type season. In terms of differences between last season and this season, the offense should be better immediately. I mean, last year at the start of the season, Travion Graham was starting and he's a a below 25% three point shooter. He was starting on the wing for this team. Derek Culver was playing heavy minutes. His role will be reduced this year. Shabazz Napier is a solid player uh, who currently is without a team heading into this season, but he struggled in a Minnesota Timberwolves uniform. You're replacing those minutes with an efficient dynamic score in Malik Beasley, Ricky Rubio, who's a better creator than Shabazz Napier and a better defender than Shabazz Napier. And you're also bringing in the number one overall pick, Anthony Edwards, who I don't think will have a ton of impact offensively immediately, but he's going to get a chance to earn some minutes. And, you know, adding Juancho Hernan Gomez to the rotation, another guy who can shoot above 40% from three or around 40%, the offense will be much more dynamic than it was a year ago. And defensively, I mentioned Rubio, Davis, Hollis, Jefferson. These guys are all really good defenders um, who will who should improve the, the team on that side of the floor. I think the name of the game is there's improvement all the way around this team, this roster from 12 months ago and especially 18 months ago um, when Gerson Rosas took over the team. This year, I think, the player whose trajectory is most going to be, who's going to be impacted the most this season is probably Carl Anthony Towns. If this team, if it's the, if it's a worst case scenario year, they get to the end of the season. Towns only has a couple years left on his deal at that point, And he may try and make some noise, force his way out. Not only that, the, uh, his trade value isn't going to be quite as high. If the wolves have a bad season, if he's healthy and this team isn't a playoff team, our team, our other team is going to see him as an all-star as an all NBA caliber player. And it could be worst case all the way around. Now, if the Wolves are good, if they make the playoffs and Towns has another all-star season and makes maybe a second all-NBA team, things are completely different. And Towns is seen as probably a top 15, top 10 player, MVP candidate if this team makes makes the playoffs. All those things are true. And, you know, Towns has one less year on his deal than Russell does. And there's he's had a tumultuous offseason, um, you know, through largely through no fault of his own a tragic off season, of course, with the passing of his mother, this is a really big year for towns as he, as he takes the lead of a team that has been handed to him as, as his team moving forward. If I had to guess right now, my best guess on how the season ends, I think the Timberwolves are going to be in the conversation for the ninth or 10th seed in the Western conference. Of course, this year, the addition of two play-in games means as long as you're the 10th best team in the West, you get to play a playing game to go into the playoffs. I think the wolves are going to be around the 500 mark in a normal season, of course, that's 41 wins. In a season like this, it's it's 36 wins. Teams are playing 72 games. So I'm going to say this team wins somewhere in that 35 to 38 game mark, putting them right at or slightly above the 500 mark, which should put them in the ninth or 10th spot in the West, battling with the likes of Memphis, um, maybe Phoenix, um, maybe New Orleans. Some of those teams are going to be battling it out for the ninth or 10th spot and an opportunity to be in the top eight and really make the playoffs and play a full series. I truly believe that a healthy Timberwolves team has the, uh, has the skill, has the depth to do that. And don't put it past Gerson Rosas to make another splash mid-season at the trade deadline um, if he thinks this team is a shot at making the playoffs to try and improve the roster further. All things Consider this is going to be a really exciting year for the Timberwolves. They have two 24-year-old All-Stars, the number one overall pick, the return of Ricky Rubio. It's a good time to be a Timberwolves fan, and it should be an extremely entertaining season, regardless of what their final record no looks Chris like. No Chris Paul, more draft picks than they know what to do with, and a bevy of young talent. The Oklahoma City Thunder's future direction is uncertain, 
but it is tantalizing. What will this season mean to the grand plan? Here's Locked on Thunder with a preview. Hello, I am Ryland Stiles, host of Locked on Thunder, and the biggest storyline heading into this season for the Oklahoma City Thunder is the fact that Shea Gilgis-Alexander is now going to become the next point guard of the future for the Thunder. As he expands his role both within the organization and on ball as a guard, it's going to be interesting to see how he can translate his game as to more of a playmaker and creator for others rather than the off-ball style we saw from him a year ago in Oklahoma City. The best case scenario for the Oklahoma City Thunder this season frankly, is finishing at the bottom of the standings. That way they have the best odds to get the top pick and land Cade Cunningham and accelerate this rebuild even more. Now, the worst case scenario for this team would be finishing somewhere in the middle of the NBA standings. Because if this team does not overperform and exceed expectations again and finish around that top five in the standings, which would take Shea becoming an all-star, it would take Pokashevsky becoming a first-round talent already in his rookie season, it would take a resurgence from Al Horford, it would take so much Darius Baisley expanding his role and becoming a building block for this franchise that... The only bad outcome this season would be finishing around 10th place, and then you're in the play-in game, yes, but you've really accomplished nothing this season, all while taking yourself almost entirely out of play for a top three pick in a draft class in which it's supposed to have generational talents. Offensively and defensively for this team, schematically, I think will look similar to last year's team, although I will say I would expect a... Faster pace of play as new head coach Mark Dagnott has talked all about playing positionless basketball and running up and down the floor in transition. And while Billy Donovan did say those same things, he never fully had a roster that was optimized to do those things whenever you were running through Carmelo, Russell Westbrook, Paul George all throughout his tenure. And then last year you get settled with Chris Paul. And on defense, this team this year will look very similar last year in the sense of they're going to try to switch a lot. They're going to be very versatile defensively. And that is where the Thunder can surprise some people is just how good defensively they, they can be. If Shea is locked in and takes that next step defensively that Mark has talked about wanting him to do and Sam Presti has as well. We all know Lou Dortmund, a name for himself defensively. Last year in the bubble, Al Horford is no slouch defensively. Darius Baisley is able to switch really one through four at the NBA level and defensively, they can really give teams issues. I think that the career trajectory for Darius Baisley will be impacted significantly this year in a positive manner because he really gets to thrive in a bigger role for him and he gets more minutes allocated to him. But not only are there more minutes for him, he's going to be with players who will benefit him. So last year, whenever he was playing with Chris Paul, Shea, and Dennis in those lineups, he could not display what I think is his best skill set. He could not display his ability to playmake and his ability to create for others and himself and his ball handling and passing. You cannot do that when you are next to three ball handlers. Now he's going to be put in a position where he can go coast to coast more often. He can bring the ball up the floor. He can initiate the offense from the four position. I think that Darius Baisley will thrive this season. For this season for the Thunder, they do want to finish as close to the bottom of the standings as possible. However, the variables of load managing stars with the shortened off season, with the COVID aspect of this year, and the fact that I think this team on paper, while the end goal is to have the highest odds at the number one overall pick, 
is not a team that is going to get blown out night in and night out. So keeping games competitive and keeping games close are going to be a real danger to the cause of getting the top pick. So if I had to guess how this season would turn out, I think that the Thunder finished around 13th in the Western Conference and put all their faith in the ping pong balls at the NBA Draft Lottery. My two biggest predictions for this season have to be number one, Shea Gilgis-Alexander turning into a 25-point-per-game score. He led the Thunder in scoring last season with 19 points per game, and now you've taken away the shots that you were allocating to Chris Paul, you take away Steven Adams' touches, you take away Delino Gallinari's touches, and you take away Dennis Schroeder's touches, and you almost force-feed them to Shea, and I think that he can really take off and possibly win most improved player this season with the stats boost you're going to see from him. Another one is Darius Baisley. I think that Darius Baisley this season, whenever he gets more opportunities and his role grows with the Thunder, which it will right out of the gate, he will show you why he is a first-round talent and why the Thunder selected him a season ago in that first round. While his path is pretty unique as a New Balance intern, he proved in the bubble that he has a really good jump shot, and then you coincide that with his ability to pass the basketball, dribble the basketball, and create for others at that power forward position. As Mark wants to run with his positionless style, he is in line for a really big sophomore season. So be sure to subscribe to Locked on Thunder to see just how right or wrong I am about this Thunder season prediction. And finally, we go to rejecting the screen. They're looking into the future and predicting the headlines for each division. Adam, Noah, what's the good news? My headline centers around Damian Lillard, and the headline is, I should have bet on Lillard MVP at plus 1,800. So here are the guys that you could get that have better odds of winning the MVP right now than Damian Lillard. Luka, Steph, Giannis, AD, LeBron, KD, Jason Tatum, James Harden. I'll take Lillard at plus 1,800, coming off what he did in the bubble, and then knowing how he prepares himself for any sort of situation and just how much better I think that the Blazers have gotten. The Northwest Division on the whole... They've had four playoff teams in three straight years. And remember, it was just three years ago when Denver lost to Minnesota in Game 82. That was the Jimmy Butler year in Minnesota. They got him into the playoffs. And Denver that year, when they missed the playoffs, they were 46-36. and 36. It has been a great division. However, they've only represented the West in the Finals once since the Utah Jazz did it in 97-98 against Jordan. And that was the OKC... Russ, Harden, KD team back in 2012 when they lost to Miami. On Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard has been first team, second team, second team, all NBA his last three years. There's only one other guard who has done that three the past three years, and that's James Harden. So there will always be, well, how far did he get in the playoffs? with Damian Lillard, but there is no, and, and he's been to the Western Conference Finals, but there is no questioning the, the leader he is and the type of player he is from anybody who watches Damian Lillard consistently. So if you can get Damian Lillard at plus 1,800 now, you won't have to be repeating the headline, I should have taken Lillard for MVP at plus 1,800. And by the way, we know who's asking about what has Lillard won lately. <laughs> We're not going to name names. For me in the Northwest, it's 
ready or not, here we come. And that's because you look at the Nuggets, you look at the Jazz, and you look at the Blazers. And while everyone wants to talk about the teams in L.A., these teams are all ready to contend. Yes, Utah last year was somewhat disappointing. But remember, they took the Nuggets to the brink before that first collapse that they would be remembered for if the Clippers hadn't done the same thing. Projected starting five, potentially, Mike Conley, of course, Donovan Mitchell, Bogdanovich, Ingles, Royce O'Neal, Rudy Gobert. Plus, they add Azubuki from the draft out of Kansas, shores up the front line that could just be gigantic at times. That'll be fascinating to see what they can do. And another year with Mike Conley there, I think the Jazz actually get even better. But the real interesting teams, obviously, are the Nuggets and the Blazers here. You talked about Lillard on the Blazers, but also we got to think about their additions. Robert Covington, um, uh, Ennis Cantor, Harry Giles, Derek Jones, even C.J. Ellaby in the draft from Washington State. So this team, which last year they had Carmelo Anthony, now all of a sudden has some interesting defensive pieces. They have some interesting pieces up front who can score and do different things. They can play you big. They can play small. So the Blazers now are ready to step into that contender mode, not just we're happy to be here. And, of course, the Nuggets. If you think about what they had did the last three seasons, they finished ninth in the West, then they finished second in the West, and then last season they go to the Western Conference Finals. Now, think about the age of some of the guys on this team. Jamal Murray's 23. Gary Harris is 26. Michael Porter Jr., 22. And, of course, the Joker's 25. Plus, they add one of my favorite players in Facundo Campazzo. Great passing guard who played overseas. Adds to the depth. Jamichael Green decides to go to the Nuggets over the Clippers. What does that tell you? And then R.J. Hampton, too, who could be a surprise from this year's draft. So this youth movement, which has taken already some big steps over the last few years, they're in contender mode, just like the Blazers, just like the Jazz. Ready or not, here we come. Thank you so much for listening to this Locked On NBA Division preview. Now, we've got previews on all 30 teams on the Locked On NBA feed right now. So if you missed any of the previous previews, you can go check those out. Subscribe to Locked On NBA and your favorite team podcast if you haven't already. This preview series is not quite done. We also have a predictions episode. Every team podcast making a couple of predictions about how the team that they cover will fare. Uh, That's coming up on December 22nd. Check out that episode. It's one of my personal favorite episodes of the year. And uh, everyone did a fantastic job with it. So check that out. Stay safe. Stay warm. Enjoy the NBA season, everybody. I know I will. 